Welcome back to another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Frischner, Rick Broing. Sorry to everybody if I sound a little stuffed up. I'm podcasting through my own non-COVID illness here with a cold this past week. Frischner flu every- pod. Yeah, the Frischner flu pod, although we're just blowing our nose, so I don't even know if I want to take credit for that much. But yeah, let's get right into this one here with Xavier and the state of the program, the state of the union, and how the Musketeers are doing right now, Rick, a lot to get into. And first off, we're going to start with Ken Palm, where they sit right now. Going into last night's game against St. John, Xavier was 24th. They now sit at 38th in the net rankings. Xavier, after yesterday's performance against St. John's, they dropped three spots. They're now down to 23rd uh, from where they were at number 20. And in Bracket Matrix, now granted, Bracket Matrix isn't updated every day. This was updated through the 16th, um, or at least updated on the 16th, which was yesterday. But my guess would be this was before the game last night. It's it's before the St. John's loss. Yeah, because Xavier right now is the second sixth seed. Uh, But Xavier drops a game to St. John's. And you and I had texted about whether we wanted to record this on Tuesday or whether we wanted to record this today. And we both agreed that it might be better for the narrative and for the recaps to wait and see what this team did against St. John's. And I think it was probably a good decision because coming off all of that momentum against UConn on Friday night at home at the Cintas Center, where it looked like Xavier was maybe back they blew it at home against St. John's. I don't know if there's really any other way to put it. Xavier was up 57 to 56 and then just completely collapsed down the stretch of that game at home. That's Xavier's second quad three loss in the last two weeks at home. Um, Rick, my initial takeaway from this, and I was talking to, as some of you may know, Tom DeCordy, who's an ESPN producer. He was at the uh, Xavier and Seton Hall game at Seton Hall last week, Xavier grad, we were talking for an hour about the game and he was saying, man, you know, it it really looked like in that second half. And I agreed with him looked like in that second half of the Seton Hall game, they didn't win, but they came out of that halftime locker room at Seton Hall. And it looked like maybe something had changed. There was a toughness in the second half. They, they had some tenacity. It, It looked like something in that second half of the Seton Hall game had clicked. And then you take that into UConn and they pretty much beat UConn wire to wire. It was close, but they beat UConn pretty much wire to wire. Then you come back out a few days later at home against a St. John's team that has been very close to some big wins this year and just haven't gotten over the top. I was talking to some of the St. John's people before the game and, you know, I just, it it was just, we're, we're close, but we just haven't, actually gotten that big win look at what they did against UConn at MSG last weekend but they did it at the Cintas Center last night when Xavier was in such desperate need of of really calming the nerves and showing that they were going to go into March more smoothly than they have before but now Rick with another quad three loss on the resume where do you see this Xavier team and where do you kind of find Xavier right now in the state of things with a few games left before the Big East tournament. Well, you just used the term desperate. And that's what I'm wondering right now about Xavier. Where is the desperation from this team? I mean, you know, I, I, we've talked about in previous episodes how 
it's sometimes unfair to look at this team through the prism of years past and some of the the meltdowns they've had at the at the end of last year specifically a lot of people reference that but at the same time when you think about this group and the leaders of this group and who the go-to players are specifically guys like Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson who wasn't available for the St. John's game but a guy like Paul Scruggs this is his last opportunity this is his last chance he came back for super senior year for this and he's slowly watching it slip away the same way last year did. Now I'm not pinning all of these issues on Paul Scruggs, but just from an overall standpoint with this group, I don't see a sense of urgency right now. And you would think that this, this team of all out of anything else, they would very much feel the pressure of what's at stake right now and what needs to be accomplished and what is happening. And last night, against St. John's, they just did not look at all like a team that had that sense of urgency. I think um, I saw that clip from the 68 field of 68 after dark show with Sean Miller and Archie Miller. And Sean said something to the effect of uh, they looked like they were privileged or something like that, that they didn't, they didn't have that Xavier attitude and toughness with the way they played against St. John's. And I couldn't agree more. So I think that's kind of where I, I start is just how could this team possibly be in the situation that they were a couple of weeks ago where we're saying, okay, yeah, there's been some ups and downs. They haven't played well in the first half of these games, but ultimately it hasn't cost them too much. They've just got to win a handful of these games coming down the stretch. And oh, look, they've got three of the next four at home. Yeah, there's a tough game or two in there, but three of the next four at home, they should be in good shape before a really tough stretch to finish these, the season. And then all of a sudden you lose three of those four games that, you had three or four at home. Two of those losses are at home to DePaul and St. John's. And now the season's in complete disarray, feeling like it's about to go off the rails. And you're basically just clinging on to any life to avoid a complete meltdown again at the end of the season. It's not good. I mean, this isn't where you want to be for after the game last night, Jack Nungy to say multiple times in, in the postgame press conferences, or the post-game press conference that St. John's just wanted the game more than Xavier did. And for Travis Steele to be saying his team looked shell-shocked late in that game and didn't handle adversity well, that's not good. I mean, not at where this team is at with the personnel that they have in the final weeks of the season. Yeah, that's exactly right. And especially with the opportunities that Xavier had, you hit the nail on the head. You're looking at a schedule right now where after you beat Creighton, you have Butler, DePaul, and St. John's all at home. Now you throw in Connecticut too, but all of those games at home, you're looking at an opportunity to potentially win one, two, three, four, five of your six games. After you beat Creighton on the road, that's that could be five out of your next six games being wins with the one exception, the Seton Hall loss on the road. Instead, you're three and three in your last six games. You're seven and seven in the conference, 17 and eight overall. And oh, by the way, three of your last five, you got to go on the road and they're all tough. It's Connecticut at, I believe that's a gamble on Saturday afternoon. It is. It is. Yeah. That's, that's a gamble on Saturday afternoon on Big Fox. Then you go to Providence, which is a very tough place to play right now. The computers don't love Providence, but the team has just been finding ways to get it done. Seton Hall at home, 
you think maybe Bryce Aiken's probably back for that game by by that point in two weeks or in nine days. Then St. John's away at Corniseco, which has always given Xavier trouble. And then Georgetown at home, which all of a sudden becomes a game that people are saying that's that Georgetown game at home is a game that Xavier is supposed to win by 16 points. There's absolutely no reason this team should be worrying about that game or that anybody listening to this should be worrying about that game. But after you lose to DePaul and St. John's at home, who's to say that a game on senior night like that can't slip away? I don't think it will, but that's certainly not the way you want to end the season. And yeah, you have St. John's and Georgetown to end the year, which are two opportunities for wins to go into the Big East tournament. But you, right now, I just have no idea. I just have no idea what I'm going to see. I, I walk into Cintas Center last night. I take my spot at the scorer's table. I sit down. I look at the guys around me. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm about to watch. And that is not a good thing for February 16th with the experience of this roster. And I really think that sums it up well, is that it's so hard to figure this team out because on one hand, you know, a lot of people came away after this stretch and they're talking about how Xavier doesn't have talent and how they don't match up well with any of these teams and all of that. And I tend to kind of agree. I've been saying that since before the season, it's been a consistent theme on these podcasts that we do, where I feel like one of Xavier's biggest issues is they lack top end talent for the Big East. But at the same time, there's a part of this, and for a lot of Xavier's season, they've shown these flashes of being a team that looks like an absolute buzzsaw. And they put together 10, 20-minute stretches where they just roll through some of these teams on the offensive end. They absolutely do match up just fine with them, and they can do whatever they want. So, yeah, I understand that's the hallmark of a bad team when you only show it in flashes and you're very inconsistent. But at the same time, I, it does feel like there's more than just the lack of talent and lack of athleticism and, and toughness and things like that, because at times they have looked very competent, not just, oh, they played pretty well for a stretch, but like they roll through some of these Big East opponents when they're playing at their best. So how do you make that work with what we've seen recently out of this team where they lose three of four and they play 40 bad minutes against St. John's at home. I don't know how to make all of that make sense when I watch this team. And you're right. It's just so unpredictable what you're going to get with them. You mentioned it a few minutes ago, the clip from the field of 68 with Jeff Goodman and the Miller brothers. I tweeted out the one clip from the first part of Sean Miller's was kind of monologue that he gave about the state of Xavier's program. And then they went on to a longer discussion. It was about a 10-minute clip. I tweeted out the first part, and then later on, Field of 68 replied to me. There's a whole clip of it on YouTube. I tweeted that out as well, the YouTube link to it. Would highly recommend. I think that Jeff and Archie and Sean summed it up pretty well. And, of course, Sean, from his experience with Xavier, and, and talking about that toughness, talking about that, that ability of a Xavier team to not back down, to at the very least go out with a fight. Right. Like with a few minutes left in that game, Xavier got down six, then they got down eight, then they got down 10, then they got down 12, then 14. That doesn't happen at home, or at least it shouldn't happen at home. And it did happen at home. And to me, that's just it. 
it's really an indictment on the way that the team played last night and the way that you just have no ability to trust what they can do going forward. Yeah, and that was the most concerning part about the St. John's loss to me was that was the first time that we've seen this team quote-unquote quit in a game this year. And I know that has such a loaded connotation when you use that word, and I don't mean it to mean anything other than they had no fight left at the end of that game. They didn't, you know, a, a lot of games this year, we've seen them play a terrible first half, but then they're good in the second half. They make it a game at the end. It's somewhat respectable. You at least feel like they have a chance in that under four media timeout. To, if, okay, if they hit a few threes here, they're in the game and they'll, they'll make a run at it. That was never the case in this game. From the 11-minute mark to the one-minute mark, they were completely inept on offense. They couldn't do anything against St. John's zone. And then when you got down to that, five, four, three minute mark where you're going, okay, it's now or never. If you're going to make a run, they turned the ball over, made bad decisions and watch St. John goes for run out dunks on the other end. And they had no energy defensively. They're kind of looking at each other, pointing the finger a little bit. That, that was very concerning to see because they haven't looked like that yet all year. They haven't looked defeated. They haven't looked like they've quit. And to see that at home against St. John's, this thing is, we all knew it was trending in the wrong direction based off the way they were playing, but it never looked like they're quitting or they've really lost it and they're losing the faith themselves or they don't believe in themselves or what have you. They always seemed like they had pretty good fight and the, the you know they had a really good locker room and good chemistry and all that. I didn't see that at the end of the St. John's game, man. It could just be a blip, could be making too much out of a bad performance, but combined with everything else that you have to talk about with this team, I think that's a really bad sign. The one thing I will say, Rick, and everybody's talking about another February collapse, another, another Travis Steele team that's not playing its best down the road. In 2019, Xavier won six of their last regular season games. They won the first round against Creighton, and they were a bad Brian O'Connell charge call away from playing Seton Hall in the Big East final to potentially go to the NCAA tournament. In 2020, there was no tournament but Xavier won six of their last 10 games in the regular season. And the last two that they lost Providence and Butler were two of those four losses. And those were two games that Paul Scruggs didn't play in. So Xavier wins six of their last eight games, six of the last 10 games in 2020. And then there was no tournament. They did lose to DePaul. I know they lost their last yeah. three games there. That's, the, but that's looking, the thing that stands out is the DePaul loss because Providence and Butler were both good that year. People forget it. They yeah. act like they melted down against bad teams. It was just the DePaul loss that was bad. Yeah, yeah. But when you're looking at collapses, it, I'll grant you last year and this year, 19 and 20, it, it's a little hard for me to say that they, that they weren't, that they were, it was a total collapse, especially in 19 when it was very clear that they were playing their best basketball at the end of the season. 20, there was no tournament, and yeah, the DePaul loss was one of the worst losses probably in memory for a lot of people listening to this. But last year, where you have UConn, St. John's, Providence, Georgetown, Marquette, five of those losses, five of your seven last regular season games through February and March, all losses, then you lose to Butler in the Big East Tournament. Now Xavier, this year, where you're looking at you know five of your last eight games have been losses, and, and that just... It, it's just hard to handle um, with the way that I, I think the most frustrating thing again, and, and I'll say it again, is just, it's like what I tweeted a, a week or two ago. 
it's very hard for me to be completely negative on this team and to be totally, uh, totally downtrodden on the ability of this team when I see UConn, when I see Ohio State, when I see, uh, it, you know, some of these games where Xavier has played very, very well, exceptionally well in some cases. But it's getting hard for me to trust and continue to put faith in their ability to go out there and do that game after game. When you see games like St. John's and DePaul, that even if you're not playing your best, you just have to find a way to win. And you're winning that game last night, 57 to 56 at home in the second half. You win that game. You have to win that game. And they didn't. And the other thing too, Rick, 21 of St. John's 34 field goals last night were at the rim. 12 layups, nine dunks. What is that? Well, it's it's a bad defensive performance. And I thought the the biggest problem with that is, especially in the second half, but really throughout the game, a lot of times it's just a, la- a total lack of effort, if we're being honest. I mean, guys just not giving a good, honest effort and playing the way that they practice every day and the way they talk and the way they move and their help systems that are in place, they're just not adhering to those. And I don't know what you do at that point. Like, I, 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 you know, a lot of people have brought up the, the concept of Steele sticking with guys too long and, you know, you should be playing this guy, you should be playing that guy. The best player on the team is always the guy on the bench who's not playing. And to a to a large extent, I think that's just the nature of fans. That's fans are always going to think that. But especially in a game like this, where you weren't just a, a few more possessions away from making that run and getting right back in it, you were fading and fading hard. I mean, you got back down by 16 there. You went through a 10 minute stretch where you just basically couldn't score. I mean, you scored what, six points or whatever it was over, to, I think it was nine points. You outscored 26 to nine over that 10 minute stretch from the 11 minute mark to the one minute mark of the second half. When you're in a situation like that, I think it's try anything at that point. Yeah, I agree. Like Cesar Edwards may not be the right matchup against St. John's in that game or playing him alongside another big may not work for you defensively. But Zach Freeman has given you no chance the way he's playing defense in that game. Right. And Zach Nungy is clearly worn out down the stretch of that game and isn't able to move. He had one rep that was just absolutely terrible where it looked like Paul Scruggs was then getting on him for a lack of effort. So, I mean, then you're putting in Jerome Hunter, who's given you absolutely zero awareness on the court. It's like I can understand a lot of times, hey, you just don't have a better option on the bench. And I feel that's been the case for Xavier most of the time. And I've said it in the past that a lot of times if Travis was going to be making a change, he's making a change just for the sake of making a change. But I think last night against St. John's, we were clearly at that point where, okay, it's time to just make change for the sake of change. No matter what, like just got to get someone else out there. Guys are exhausted. Guys are not playing hard. Zach Fremantle is doing the same type of stuff that's cost you multiple times against St. John's. It was last year. I remember the same thing, doing a video breakdown of the loss against St. John's last year. And I'm going back and I'm looking through. I'm going, oh, Fremantle didn't get back in transition that time. Fremantle didn't get back in transition here. Fremantle just quit playing on that ball screen and let a guy go right to the rim and dunk on him. It was the same thing again this year. So at some point he's got to come out of the game. I mean, you can't just leave him out there continuing to do that type of stuff. 
Yeah, it's exactly right. And it's just, it's frustrating to be in a position where you know that maybe there is a chance you could change something up with that. And and then it's just the same thing over and over and trying to expect something different. And they just didn't get anything different last night. Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, we're talking about a guy in Travis Steele who's coaching for his job right now. So when fans are like, yeah, play this guy, play that guy. It's like, well, you guys are all thinking that the season is going down the toilet and it's over with, but like really until this St. John's loss, no rational human being or like a coach should be thinking that way. They were still getting five seed, six seed projections. All their metrics are great. Like they still are very much in a decent spot prior to this little stretch where they lose three of four and then lose the home games to DePaul and St. John's. Even after the DePaul loss, you can say, okay, it's a blip on the radar. For most of the season, they've done what you said they need to do, which is, okay, you're not playing your best like the game at DePaul, but you find a way to win it. Okay, you play a terrible first half against Creighton, but you come back and you find a way to win that game. All of a sudden, they're not that team anymore, and it's very clear. And now after the St. John's game, I think we're to the point, and I think during the St. John's game, you should have realized you're at the point where this is going to be three or four losses, two bad losses at home to teams that aren't as good as you. It's time to shake it up. You got to do something differently. And again, I understand why the staff shouldn't panic. And I, I complimented them for not panicking and not changing their roster drastically. And I thought that led to them winning at home against UConn, which was a much needed big win for them. On the same side of that token, if I'm Travis Steele and the staff right now, and I know what's at stake, and I know I'm coaching for my job, I'm not going down watching the same guys continue to screw things up and not play the right way. At some point, I'm going to say, all right, you got to sit down. I'm playing someone else because it's that serious. Like, this is the point we're at. And again, that's been a drastic change. I mean, that, that 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 switch has been flipped all of a sudden just within the last week in my mind. I know fans feel differently. They feel like it's been that way since last year. That's not reality. That's not how this season has gone. But now, after you lose three of the last four and you lose at home to DePaul and St. John's, that is where you're at. And I think that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. I'm, I am a little bit surprised that you see Cesar Edwards in the second half of that Seton Hall game. He gives you a boost. And I think a lot of us brought up at the time, hey, that's a good matchup because of their personnel, and you're able to play two bigs a little bit easier. You're able to put Ike in some ball screens and, and stuff like that. It's not always going to work like that, but I still think you got to give him some minutes. I mean, for him to get just one minute in the UConn game, no playing time at all against St. John's, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I was going to ask you about that. He comes out and gets one minute and doesn't even touch the ball against UConn and then checks back out of the game. I don't really understand that. Why do you put a guy like Cesar in to not touch the ball for less than a minute of action and take him right back out and he doesn't see the court again? Was it just to check the box that he said he got him in? The crowd was cheering for him. He put him in, got him right back out. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to put him in for less than a minute after what you saw against Seton Hall. And then you don't see him at all the rest of the game. I don't get that. My assumption was they were concerned about matchups and they put him in, saw, oh, okay, this matchup isn't working. And then they were in a tight game that they had a good chance to win. See, like, this is the thing for me. I don't worry about your personnel when you win a big game like UConn. I'm okay with whatever you want. Hey, you found a way to win an important game against UConn. You played well. 
you played the right guys. They were playing well. But when you get into the St. John's game and those same guys aren't playing well, and Zach Fremantle is very clearly not living up to the standard that you're setting for your team. He's clearly not doing the things that you're asking. That's where I, that's where it doesn't make any sense to me. The, the one minute against UConn where you win, I can see why people don't get it, but I don't have any arguments with that. You won the game. Your guys were playing yeah. well yet on the court. The St. John's game is completely different to me. Those guys weren't playing well. They weren't doing what you asked. Why is he not getting a couple of minutes in that game at least? And I don't, I don't have a good answer for any fan who's making that argument today. Yeah. I went back last night to November 9th. I'm one of those people that never deletes my text messages. I'm weird like that. I have every text message on my phone I've ever sent since 2014. So it's like a little, I don't know. Yeah. You could get arrested if somebody found that thing. Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, but I went back to November 9th to look because I, I remember somebody had texted me and asked me for my my thoughts on the season. And I went back to find that text and I had I texted back and I said, if you told me this is a bubble team at best with the same guys from last year who just had to get better in the offseason, you add Jerome Hunter and Jack Nunji. Nunji struggled with his health and Jerome Hunter struggled to get some minutes in Indiana. That's different. Otherwise, it's the same team as last year, and you just have to trust everyone get better in the offseason. I sent that text on November 9th, kind of expecting a, I don't know, average season. And maybe that's where we're going to end up here in like the nine seed range. Maybe that's where this team might end up, depending on how they finish off these last five games of the season. But to me, even if they end up with a nine seed, which after two quad three losses at home might be a gift, depending on how they end the season, who knows? They, they could go four and one in their last five games here. And, and yeah, then they're probably and five and six seeds still. I mean, yeah. And, and you just, you, you never know, but you lose a, a couple of these games down the stretch. And all of a sudden you're looking at an eight or nine seed, which coming into the season probably wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, but it's the path to get there and the ability that this team has shown and then not shown over the second half of the season, that's what could be frustrating. Not that just in the end, they ended up with what maybe you and I thought they were going to end up with before the season started. Yeah. And maybe that's even a little unfair to look at it that way, because really aside from the Ohio state win, which was a win at home and it was early when Ohio state was banged up and uh, they were trying to find themselves a little bit. They weren't playing their best basketball. It maybe it was a little bit weaker of an 11 to one or 10 to one non-conference run than we realized. You know, I mean, we looked at that and said, oh, another collapse after they started the season so strong in non-conference. But it's like, in reality, maybe this is who they were all along. And once they got into the Big East and started playing better competition more consistently, they were always going to get exposed. And I think, that's probably right. I don't think it makes anybody feel better. And I think the bigger concern for a Xavier fan right now would be the consistent themes that you're seeing from Travis Steele's Xavier teams. I think like if I had to rank them right now, here would be my three biggest concerns about what we've seen, not just this year, but even going back years prior. The first, without question, the biggest by a landslide is the three-point shooting. I mean, I've seen guys tweeting. I've seen on our message board the stats. I mean, Xavier has been 
among the worst in the country every single year for the last four years in three-point shooting. It's really hard to be a decent offensive team or a consistent offensive team if you can't shoot at all from the outside in 2022. Not to mention, this is a team that in many ways has seemingly been built to be a team that spaces you out, moves the ball around, works for open threes, and makes those shots. Now, they've had to try to kind of rearrange that to be a team that plays more inside out because of who their personnel is and because of their lack of shooting. But ultimately, Travis Steele's system, even if we want to go back to the Chris Mack days, was in theory at its best when you had Trayvon Blewett, J.P. McCurry, Kaiser Gates, you're spreading the floor, spraying it around, and, and shooting a bunch of threes. And that's kind of what we were sold on he was going to do with this group. The problem is he's put together a team that does seem to be more finesse skill-like players but without the skill of being able to put the ball in the basket. That's a major problem. I mean, that would be by far the three-point shooting, the overall droughts on offense would be my biggest concern by far. The second would be the lack lack of top-end talent. I mean, I think you look at that St. John's game, and whether you're watching it live in person or if you're going back over the video, they don't look like they match up well with St. John's. St. John's, if you put those two teams in an airport next to each other, Anybody's going to walk by and bet on St. John's just off the eye test. I mean, they just look like the bigger, more impressive, more athletic team. And that's the way it played out around the basket. I mean, you cited the the stat for how many shots they scored at the rim. And I've also brought up on, on past podcasts how Xavier never really seems to have the best player on the court. Last night, Julian Champagny was clearly that. You know, Jack Dungey played pretty well, but Xavier doesn't have the best guy on the court and a guy that they can go to in tight situations. And then finally, the third thing I would have would be that inability to match up physically and athletically, which I kind of just combined with that last one. But it's, um, you know, again, just looking at the eye test of why is it always hard for Xavier to guard guys one on one? Why does it always seem like they're deficient on the defensive end and they're outmanned? Why does it seem like they don't ever have that guy that can dominate the opponent, whether it be blitzing them off the bounce and getting a shot whenever they want or being able to throw it in the post and let them dominate on the block. They just don't seem to have that uh, physically. They don't seem to have that edge or toughness. They've gotten a little bit better defensive rebounding this year compared to the last few years. But aside from that, I still don't see that same athleticism and toughness that Xavier was known for for many years. So is that recruiting, Rick? Is that coaching? Is it a combination of both? Is it Where do you go with all those problems? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's a combination of your mindset and culture and identity of who you're trying to be mixed with your recruiting. So if you, you know, you're, you're, it seems like they kind of wanted to be this team that was more of a finesse skilled team. They didn't get the right guys to fully be able to play that way. And then now you're trying to kind of blend it and be a team that plays through the inside and score in the paint with a bunch of guys who right aren't quite built for that seemingly. I mean, Jack Nungy has done a great job inside, but Xavier is, has not been the tougher team or the more physically imposing team in many games this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a combination of the two. It's your culture, your identity, your plan for your program, combined with the type of players that you're bringing in. And one of, one of the two, or maybe both, need to change to get on the same page, I think. Yeah. And the way that Xavier's trending right now, it just feels like with these games that they have looming without that go-to player, without that star, without that somebody that's just going to take over the game, 
where does Xavier get the production that they need now over these last few games? We've seen it. We we've seen they just they just beat UConn. They yeah. just did it four or five days ago. They just did it. But now all of a sudden they're going to go to Gamble and probably everybody listening to this is expecting a blowout on Saturday, but there's no reason to necessarily be expecting that when you just beat them a few days ago with the exact same team. And, and that goes back exactly to what we were talking about with just, you know, some of the frustration and, and the production quality and the, and the, how well all these guys are playing all at the same time. And that speaks to exactly what you just said about just going out there, giving as, as much as you can, and then hoping that somewhere down the line, which the recruiting class coming in certainly could give you some of that talent and shooting and, and everything else that you're looking for. But haven't we been saying that before? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I am fully on the same page of the people who say, if the answer to save the program is some 18 year olds coming in next year, that's a problem like that. That can't be the solution is, oh, yeah, we got three 18 year olds and that's going to fix everything because we've seen how that goes. I mean, these aren't five star one and done guys. They I like all three of those guys. I think they're all talented. I think all three of them could contribute immediately, potentially. That's still not a winning solution. That's not where Xavier should be at in year five of this era. So if that is the only thing this program has going for it, that's a major problem. And it's not enough. So I, I, would, I would agree fully with the fans that are saying, look, I'm not willing to bank on those three freshmen next year are going to turn this thing around. I agree. Now, there's the other thing I don't agree with is the people who talk about the program's a dumpster fire and like it's spiraling out of control. They're not that far away. Like they're still a pretty good team. They're theoretically in the tournament. They're, you know, in the mix in the Big East this year. So it's not like they're plummeting in their DePaul and St. John's and Georgetown of the, you know, however many years since Xavier's joined the Big East. They're still clearly in okay shape. The program's not in a terrible spot, but it does feel a little bit like they're just treading in water, staying in the same spot over and over again. And something needs to change to get out of that rut. Now, I'll pose this question to you, and I saw somebody brought it up on the message board. I thought it was worthwhile. We talked about the non-conference schedule. Maybe it was a mirage. Maybe it wasn't. You get into the NCAA tournament. You're playing teams that aren't in your conference. You're playing new faces, fresh blood. You think back to those Chris Mack teams and some of the plays that we would see those Chris Mack teams run in the non-conference, those, those baseline passes where Tyreek we catch the ball right in the post, turn around and jam it down somebody's throat. You never saw that in the Big East because all the Big East coaches knew that play was coming. Every player in the Big East knew that play was coming. That's one example. There were a lot of sets like that that Xavier would run in the non-conference that they couldn't get. Same now. You see a lot of things in the non-conference, and that's natural. That's with any team. I'm not saying that's exclusive to Xavier. But maybe... There is something to be said that it's highlighted a little bit. It's elevated a little bit that maybe you catch lightning in a bottle in the NCAA tournament with teams that don't know every single solitary thing that you're running. Look at UConn. It's only their second year in the league, right? Xavier only played them once last year. You beat them at home. So you you look at these things where Xavier is, is all of a sudden, you know, playing teams outside of their conference in the NCAA tournament, maybe that is a little bit of a recipe for success for Xavier. 
Yeah, I, I think that's definitely something to think about because we've seen that in the past. They're really good, and I think this is still the case. It was this way under Chris Mack, and Travis Steele had a big hand in that, and I think they've they've shown that in the non-conference with these teams recently as well, that they're really good at stealing a few baskets a game off of quick hitter set plays, like you're talking about. Those little cross-screen plays and stuff that you just don't see them get. They'll still try them occasionally in Big East games, but a lot of times you see they look in and it's just not there and then they have to run through something else. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility, partly that. And then defensively, you know, it's always a little bit easier when you haven't seen a team, they haven't seen you yet. You can throw another wrinkle at them or they haven't seen exactly how you defend ball screens. They don't know the best way to exploit that or what have you. So I definitely think that's a possibility, but the problem for Xavier is we're really talking about how do they compete in the top half of the big East better right now? Right? Like the goal for Xavier isn't to get an eight or nine seed, sneak their way into the tournament and then hope they pull some upsets. The goal is for Xavier to get to the top of the big East again, compete in the top half of that every year, have your years where you're in the top two or three and then get a good seed and make a run. And it's like, how do you get back to where you can move in that direction and, and achieve that status? That's really, I think the conversations we're having more so and the, the conversation that fans are more worried about. Cause um, I, I, now, now will, will a eight or nine seed and a run into the NCAA tournament cure a lot of issues. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone will feel a lot better if this team somehow finds a way to make the second weekend of the tournament after this year, that's for sure. I understand all of that. But my point is like right now, I don't think it makes anybody feel better to think, oh, this team could sneak their way into the tournament and then surprise some people because they haven't seen them yet and they got a little smoke and mirrors. You know, I think everybody is more worried about how does this team become a more consistent force in the Big East? In in your mind, Rick, how do they do that? Is it everything you've talked about? Is there anything that you feel like you, you haven't talked about yet that you feel like, Here's what they got to do to check these boxes. I know you listed Xavier's three biggest problems. Is there anything that you feel like is glaring right now with, with this Big East season and some of the talent that's in the Big East right now? And you look at the Big East standings, where Xavier sits. They're sixth right now, but you have Providence up there. Nobody thought Providence was going to be any good. And right now they're sitting at 11 and two and they're first in the conference. What do you feel like it is? Is, is there, a, is it an intangible? Is it something on the court? What do you feel like it is, Rick? that's going to put them in that five or better spot in the big East consistently. Yeah. You know, I mean, aside from what we've talked about, which is find a way to shoot the ball much, much better than you have. And, you know, I don't know that this team's going to be able to do that. I, I find it hard to believe they would unless Nate Johnson gets back healthy. Adam Kunkel is finally healthy for a stretch of more than two or three games in a row. And those two just click at the same time and start shooting and give this team some outside presence. But I don't expect that to happen realistically, and I don't think anybody else should either. So aside from that, um, I think it's more about finding how to get the best out of this group for what they are. And we've seen they do well when they get to the free throw line a lot. They do well when uh, Jack Nungy holds up and they're able to get any type of outside production to go with that. I think that's the, the strength you play to. You hope Zach Freeman will maybe returns to form somewhat at some point, but it, we're getting to the point where that's kind of uh, looking like a lost cause for this year. I mean, he's just, we're too far down the road now. And he, he's in some ways, in some ways, St. John's was one of the worst performance I've seen from him, you know, in terms of his effort. So um, from that standpoint, I I'd be pessimistic about that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a ton that can be done with this year's team aside from what we've already seen them do this year. So you have to find a way to get back to the things that work and trying to sustain that. And that's, 
really on the coaching staff at this point. They know that better than anyone. And I, you know, I was talking to a, a coaching friend recently, and we were kind of talking about like good coaches, bad coaches. He calls them Johnny Ball games. Um, like all the guys who are like really think highly of themselves. And he says, you know, the what makes a good coach isn't like X's and O's. Like we can all draw up a set play. We can all watch film and scout each other and come up with a game plan. He's like, the good coaches are the guys that can one, get the best players. And then two, get the best, the most out of those guys and put them into position to succeed more often than not. And it, it, I, I kind of pushed him a little farther on that. It's like, well, what does that mean exactly? And a lot of it that he was talking about had to do with, you know, making sure the right guys are getting the right shots all the time, not just some of the time, making sure everybody's playing to your standard. And if they're not, then maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe they're out of position. Maybe they're playing too many minutes and they're tiring out, things like that. But he said, those are the things that make good coaches. I'm not saying this guy is the end-all be-all and knows everything. I'm just saying it was interesting to get someone who, has coached for many years in the business, get his perspective. We weren't even talking about Travis Steele specifically. There was actually a conversation about another coach who's struggling a little bit right now. We were, he, he thinks highly of himself, so we were kind of ripping on him a little bit. But it, it was just interesting because I was thinking about it in the context of Xavier and everything. And I think you know that's what Travis Steele and the staff are trying to prove right now. I think they can X and O. I think they can scout. I think they can recruit. They, I think right now they're kind of at that stage of figuring out how do you get the most out of the players you have and how do you put them in the position to succeed as many times as possible, get them into their best spots as many times as possible. I think that's what they're still trying to prove and figure out here down the stretch and, and heading you know, into the future. And the one thing that I know Xavier fans aren't going to be happy to hear, but it's just the reality of the situation. Xavier right now is – heading straight on for another date on Wednesday in Madison Square Garden in the Big East Tournament. Because UConn was added to the conference, there is that third game on Wednesday. There's not just two. There's a third game, which means the bottom six teams all play on Wednesday night. And right now, as it sits, Xavier would play Georgetown on Wednesday at MSG. Seton Hall, St. John's, Butler, and DePaul are the other teams that are slotted in right now for Wednesday. But the difference is for Xavier, they're sixth, so they're right on the cusp. But Marquette sitting in fifth is two games better. Marquette right now is nine and six. Xavier is seven and seven. So, well, one, Marquette's played one more game. But Xavier, without that second Georgetown game, potentially going to win in there, you know, Right now, Xavier's on a collision course for Wednesday at MSG. There is a lot of basketball left to be played. Creighton's in fourth, they're at eight and five. Marquette's in fifth at nine and six. UConn, they're in third at nine and five. Like everybody's bunched up. I'm not saying that Xavier is already locked in a, a Wednesday night game, but they are going to need a little bit of help because they're already two games behind. So looking at it from that perspective, that gives you as if you need any more motivation, as if there's any ounce of effort that you need to draw out of this team even more. There is no reason that Xavier needs to worry about playing Georgetown on Wednesday afternoon at MSG 
to open up the Big East tournament, but there probably would be a little bit of worry in people's minds watching that game after DePaul two years ago, and then and then uh, who was it last? DePaul Butler, and then look at what Georgetown did last year at MSG, won the tournament from Wednesday. So uh, yeah, the five words that no Xavier fan wanted to hear this season was Wednesday at Madison Square Garden, and we are like you said, on a collision course to be in that situation once again. So the good news, though, for UConn, hey, they foul a lot. So maybe UConn will put them at the line 30 times again and they'll uh, get a big win and everything will be trending back in the right direction, at least for the time being. So now looking forward, Rick, you have UConn. And then I would assume that we'll probably record again on Monday, which would mean that between now and then UConn's the only game. But UConn, Providence, Seton Hall, St. John's, Georgetown. Three tough games, three of the next four away. UConn coming off a big win last night against uh, Seton Hall. Bryce Aiken didn't play, but now UConn's won three of their last four. The exception in there is the Xavier loss last Friday night, but they played again on Sunday. They beat St. John's. They beat Seton Hall. So UConn, we all know what UConn can bring to the table. Big team, physical, fouls a lot probably going to be favored by four and a half, five points. Then you go to Providence. Providence will be the favorite in that game. You, you got to turn it around here, Rick. This is the time. There's chances left on the schedule. There are big opportunities. There are quad one games left. There are chances to solidify this resume. And it's in their hands. What they do with that, we'll see. But the chances and the opportunities are right there in front of them. It's not like they're playing – St. John's, Georgetown, DePaul, back-to-back, you know, twice against St. John's, twice against Seton, uh, DePaul, and then Butler, one more in there, and that's your last five. Huge last five games. What they do with it, who knows? Yeah. I mean, look, you got back-to-back quad one road games right in front of you. You win both of those, everything's right back where it always should have been. You're looking at a five-six seed again after two more quad one road wins. And everything that you want is still in front of you to play for. So you're right. It's all in their hands. I completely understand why Xavier fans wouldn't feel good about that right now. Yep. That's exactly right. Well, Rick, uh, you have a a big week of travel ahead of you. So safe travels up to, up to Detroit. Thank you, sir. Best of luck up to the Norse and uh, to everybody else. Thanks for listening. And we'll check in again with you on Monday.